Well, tonight, once again, we turn to the book of 2 Kings. We're looking at 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 16 through 29. And as we come there, we come to a, a little bit of a different section for the last eight chapters. We have been focusing on Elisha and the northern kingdom of Israel. And now we go back to the southern kingdom, to Judah. As we do that, I'm reminded of, of a poster, uh, because I know where we're going in the sermon. You don't know where we're going, but I know where we're going. And I remember a poster on the wall when I was a boy. You know those posters. They, they turn out when you're young, they might be uh, posters of animals or different things. And then as you get older, maybe you have sports heroes or movies or other things that are on your wall. And I remember one poster in particular. It was a poster of a great big grizzly bear. And he was there in the water fishing, and it said as a caption on the poster, C-H-E-W-S, choose your friends. And I thought, you know, that's very wise advice. It's very important who we associate with, who our friends are, who our future spouse might be or our spouse might be, who we partner with in business, who we associate with on an everyday basis in very intimate ways. In other words, be careful. When you marry or arrange for your children to marry, be careful. For that's where we come to this passage. The background is this. We return to Judah. Jehoshaphat was the king. He was a good and righteous king. He did many wonderful things. In fact, Jehoshaphat is the only king in the history of Israel who led a military battle by sending his choir out in the front because he trusted in God. But Jehoshaphat made some poor decisions, and they are revealed to us, particularly in these two kings, his son and his grandson. Follow along as I read about these two kings in 2 Kings 8, beginning at verse 16. In the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the, ways, in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zair with all his chariots and rose by night. And he and his chariot commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. 
he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, the king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. We're going to stop here. That's not the end of the story, obviously, but it's a good place to stop. Let us bow briefly in prayer. Fathers, we consider these words regarding the history of the kings of Judah and their association in the time of Israel with the house of Ahab. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your word and apply it to our lives, that we might be sanctified, we might grow in our knowledge and wisdom of you. And Father, I pray that you would keep all of our thoughts and attitudes pleasing in your sight, and that all the things spoken here from this pulpit would be consistent with your word, or else fall away, never to be heard from again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the privilege of having a visitor visit me not too long ago. In a recent discussion, he indicated that everything was going well. His family was doing very well. In fact, he was very pleased. At least on the outside, everything looked to be going well. He had a good job, and he'd gotten promotions and job. Things were going well in every way that you could imagine in the workplace. There were lots of opportunities on the horizon. Things at church were also going well. There were blessings galore. He was a leader in the church. Everything seemed to be going his way. And if everybody were to look on the outside at his life and his circumstances, you would think that, that he was a model Christian along with his family. Well, in some ways, this was the state of Judah eight chapters ago. The focus during this entire time in 2 Kings has really been on Elisha and his ministry as well as the house of Ahab and the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel. But in the beginning of that book, Jehoshaphat has been king and he's called out to be a righteous king. He has done some amazing things as king. In fact, things are so going so well that in his day he gives riches and treasures to his seven sons who are coming after him. But my friend who came to visit me told me that everything that had been going so well was going so well until it wasn't. The choices that were made or the neglect that was done over time eventually led him to lose everything, his family, his job, his church, and everything he held dear. Jehoshaphat was much like this. He had everything going for him. In his time, there were riches. His kingdom was expanding. He had a large family. It looked as if everything was going well. Giving all these riches and gifts to his family to pass on to the next generation, the leadership of the kingdom of Judah. And yet, things in this chapter get to the point where God says, I'm ready to do away and destroy, do away with and destroy the entire kingdom of Judah except for my mercy and the covenant promises I have given. What happened in one generation? From Jehoshaphat and the strength of the kingdom, a kingdom led by a righteous king, at least 
as righteous as an earthly king could be. Yes, a sinner, someone who makes poor choices sometimes, but by and large was following the kingdom and God's righteousness. What happened in one generation? Well, first of all, we have to look at the sins of the father, don't we? Now, the sins of the father, one of those sins is the sin of Jehoshaphat. This is a sin of neglect or lack of discernment. But the other sins we're going to look at here is his son Jehoram, who becomes the father of another king, Ahaziah. First of all, the sin of Jehoshaphat that is mentioned here. In fact, if you were to look back, I think it's also on your outline or on the back of your bulletin from 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. It reminds us that Jehoshaphat had one thing he, he did consistently, which was a lack of discernment, is he wanted to partner with the house of Ahab. And in one way, he did that that affected his family for the rest of their generations. It says, now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Now, what is a marriage alliance? This is a bad marriage alliance, by the way. This marriage alliance were in the days of arranged marriages in different parts of the world that still takes place. In fact, there is kind of a comeback for an opportunity or idea for that to even take place sometimes in Christian circles in free countries. But here this arranged marriage was such that this marriage alliance meant that he was partnering with Ahab and his kingdom. And, and one, one of those partnerships was an evidence of a covenant or an arrangement he made with the king for the king's daughter to marry his son. And so the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, Athaliah, married the youngest son of King Jehoshaphat, or the, uh, excuse me, the oldest son of King Jehoshaphat named Jehoram, sometimes known as Joram. And this was done despite repeated warnings to Jehoshaphat from the prophets of the day about his continued dalliance with Ahab and his house. Jehoshaphat would go to war with Ahab's house, and he was condemned for that by the prophets, he also built ships with Ahab's son, Ahaziah, and he was condemned for that. They even lost a whole fleet of ships because of that, a result that probably caused great economic disaster to both kingdoms. And the repeated warnings to Jehoshaphat not to associate with this wicked house went unheeded by Jehoshaphat. He continued to associate himself with this wicked king, Ahab, and his sons who were also kings. This, this also was, was despite the obvious service. Even Jehoshaphat recognized this. The service to different gods. When they were about ready to go into war, at one point Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, as Ahab had brought prophets in of false gods, Baal and Ashtaroth, and who knows who else, and then they were prophesying victory for the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Why don't you have him come? And of course that happened. And the, and the true, true prophecy took place that Ahab would die in battle. And it actually took place. Despite the fact Jehoshaphat knew that they were serving different gods. Jehoshaphat was warned not to associate with this particular king. And yet here he was entering into a marriage covenant so that his oldest son, the heir to the throne, would marry into the family of Ahab 
and Jezebel. What is the sin? Is it merely a lack of discernment? Or is it perhaps a lack of focus? I was reminded this afternoon while we were dribbling a ball outside of how a coach taught me when I was a young basketball player how to shoot a free throw. And he said, always remember beef. B for good balance, E for eyes on target, the next E for elbow under, and the F for follow through. And so every time you step to the line when you're under that coach's uh, tutoring, perhaps that beef comes to mind and your focus point is to look at that hoop and focus on what you're doing. Jehoshaphat lost his focus. It was always to be on the kingdom of God, following the commands of God, even to the point that the kings of Israel and Judah were told to write a copy of the law of God themselves and to read it every day. And yet he lost his focus or just didn't use common sense when it came to Ahab and his family. And so here were the effects. The effects were this. His son, King Jehoram, Influenced heavily by the house of Ahab, began to walk the wrong path. Here's what it says about the reign of his son Jehoram. He was so close to Jehoram, evidently because of the way in which we understand the chronology of the kings of Judah. We think that Jehoshaphat actually gave the kingdom to his son Jehoram in the last two years of his life. So that he reigned for two years with his father, under his father, and then for another six years after his father died. And here's what it says is the summary. This is back to the summary of these kings. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned eight years until he was 40 in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done. Jehoshaphat introduced that path. Not intentionally, not because he wanted his son to go down that road, I don't think he did, but because he entered into an unholy alliance with a people and a family in particular that was opposed to the will of God. He was, in this way, following the kings of Israel. You would think that might be a good thing, but if you know anything about the history of the kings of Israel, you know that there was not one after the days of Solomon that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, he was particularly influenced here by Ahab's daughter. Here's what it says. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Whether we want to be influenced or not by the person we marry, they're of great influence upon us. Sometimes the influence is very good. They are a person who is righteous and faithful to the Lord. They have lots of talents and gifts. And even someone who's not a believer can have very good things that they do and very good ideas and so forth. But in this case, this was not the cream of the crop. This was the rotten fruit in the garden. This was someone who was an idolater, someone who would bring in Baal worship and other things into the nation of Israel, and now Judah. And so what did he do? It's interesting that scripture does not say he had an excuse, his sins were justified because of his bad marriage. No, it reminds us he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Just in case you might think, well, it wasn't his fault. Things were justified. Of course, he had a bad marriage. He, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. God will understand about these things. No, it doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in. It doesn't matter what your influences are. You are still responsible for your own sin. He did evil in the Lord's eyes. And here's the evil he did. It doesn't detail this in 2 Kings 8. It does in 2 Chronicles in 2 Chronicles chapters 20 through 22 in particular, we're reading especially about the kings Joram and Ahaziah. And here we're reminded that he introduced into the land of Judah the whoredom of following idolatry. He introduced the Baals into Judah. And on every high hill, we're told, he introduced this wickedness. Not only this idolatry, but there was something else that happened that was also much like the house of Ahab, and that is violence. Remember, we mentioned that King Jehoshaphat had seven, brother, or seven sons, and he gave riches and treasure to his seven sons as he's ready to pass on the kingdom to the next generation. As soon as Jehoshaphat died a couple years into the reign of King Jehoram, the eldest son of Jehoshaphat, when his throne was established, what did he do? He murdered all six of his brothers in cold blood. And he also killed many of the princes of the land. So what did he do in walking the path of the house of Ahab? First of all, he introduced terrible idolatry. Secondly, he began to institute the practice of great violence upon the family. Of God. But then we have the effects on the kingdom and on the person of offending the Holy Lord. What, what took place? What did God do about this? You see, this is not just a chronicle, a reminder, by the way, this is what happened. These are the things that happened. This is a good history book. Close the book. Now we, we just learn all the details and trivia about the kings of Israel and Judah. No, God tells us things and teaches us things from the scripture. It's his word, after all. Here's what happened. On the one hand, we're reminded of this verse, which is probably the key verse in all of this because it refers directly to the Lord and his promises. Verse 19 reminded us that in the midst of this wickedness, Murder, mayhem, idolatry, taking the country in a place where it should never have been taken. Verse 19 says this, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. One thing it had no effect on was the Lord's covenant promises that were dependent upon God's mercy and grace, God's commitment and faithfulness, and not that of the people. It had no effect on that. Amazing. Introducing all kinds of wickedness, leading the people astray, turning a whole nation from the righteous treasures of his father, King Jehoshaphat, to the wicked practices of King Ahab. This would affect them for the rest of the time that their kingdom existed. And yet God said... For the sake of the promise I have made, at this time, he would not take that lamp away. What, what, what a powerful message of God's grace and faithfulness. But the effects on the kingdom were great, weren't they? Here are some of the effects. It begins in verse 20. 
It describes to us how Edom revolted. Edom, of course, these are the descendants of Esau. They're across the Jordan River, particularly down uh, uh, across towards the south, across from Judah. And Edom was one of the vassal kingdoms of Judah. In other words, Judah had conquered that kingdom. They were getting tribute from them, and they had a puppet ruler who was a ruler that was basically a servant to the kings of Judah. And Edom took this opportunity during the reign of Jehoram to rebel. We don't know all the circumstances, but we know that this particular king, Jehoram, took his chariots and his commanders and took them across to a place called Zair. We don't even know archaeologically where this particular city is. We assume it's in Edomia or what, the kingdom of Edom in that time. And he takes them over there in order to gain back the kingdom of Edom and stop the revolt so that they can continue their relationship. And instead, he finds himself surrounded by the army of Edom. So much so that it says here by night, he arose, he and his chariot commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, and his army fled home. In other words, when he crossed over there to fight in order to regain the kingdom of Edom, instead, he had to fight merely to escape for the life of himself and his commanders and his army. And it demonstrated the weakness of Judah under such wicked kings. Not only this, the rebellion of nations was also the rebellion of cities. Here's one other just footnote. It says, then Libna, this is verse 22, revolted at the same time. We don't even know a lot about Libna, except it was a city in Judah. In fact, we think it could have taken place during the time when the Philistines and the Arabians that lived near the Ethiopians came up and rebelled against the kingdom of Judah during this reign, as described in 2 Chronicles and during that time period, this city, for whatever reason, within the confines of the nation of Judah, rebelled against the king. What terrible things, even within its own country cities, disappearing from the influence of Jehoram and the king. Not only this, but we're told in Judah, or in Second uh, Chronicles, that there would be plagues and a horrifying disease not only upon the people, but on the person of Jehoram. Even though God would not take away the kingdom from the line of David, even though a lamp would reign in David, and of course we know the final lamp of David is Jesus Christ himself, even though that would be the case, yet this king and his wickedness, because of what he had done, would have this terrible disease that's described this way. It's a disease in which his bowels would come out. And he would have an agonizing, painful death. Terrible, awful stuff. Plagues upon them, disease, awful things upon this person because of his wickedness. The sins of the father. Here in this case, Jehoshaphat's one particular sin. And then the sins of Jehoram, the father of the next king, Ahaziah. So terrible and awful that despite God's grace and God's promises, it affects the whole country. Should we be surprised then at the political climate we've had for generations? After all, what are we told again and again and again? Dependence on the right leaders, the right laws, the right legislation, the right judges, all the right things, but not dependence upon following the righteousness of God. Our early leaders in our country would refer to the righteousness of God and 
understand that there was a higher power than presidents and legislators and judges, and they would refer to these words and these things not because they were better, not because we were a Christian nation different than all the nations of the earth, but because these early leaders recognized who God was. Many of them were believers. But now what do we do? We want to associate ourselves with anyone, regardless of what they believe or how they are affiliated or what their positions are, if they would just make our lives more comfortable and more happy and prosperous. Do we have a dependence on the right God with the amazing eternal promises? You see, we too can introduce idolatry and violence into our land with all of these effects. We can give credit because we associate with all those others, and that's one sin, one thing, introducing our families sometimes, perhaps even unsuspectingly, to the evils of this world. And there are consequences. Those are the sins of the Father. What about the sins of the Son? Here's King Ahaziah. Remember, Jehoram reigns just eight years from age 32 to age 40, the prime of life in essence. It tells us Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. We're not told even one of the effects here. Second uh, Chronicles reminds us that they thought so little of Jehoram and Judah that they not only did not give a fire in his honor, as was done with some of his predecessors, but he was actually buried in the city of David apart from the tombs of the kings because they had so little regard for this man. But his son began to reign. Ahaziah tells us, it tells us is 22 years old and began to reign. He reigned one year in Jerusalem. What does Ahaziah do? He follows his family examples, doesn't he? Remember who his father is. He's a son of his father in every way. It says here, his mother's name was Athaliah. She was the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. First of all, he did exactly what his father did. Rather than follow the Lord, rather than follow David and Solomon, rather than follow Jehoshaphat or some of the good righteous kings like Asa in Judah, instead he followed the house of Ahab a son of his father in that sense in every way, but especially a son of his mother's advice. Look what it said in Second Chronicles' version of this. It says this, when Jehoram, or Ahaziah, this is Second Chronicles 22, 3, and 4, Ahaziah also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. Think of this. The mother that you want to give good advice to you is someone in this case who is a wicked person to the core. He's a son of his mother's advice. Not only that, he's a son-in-law to the advice of Ahab's house. It continues to say, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. His cousins, his uncles, his aunts, whoever it was from the house of Ahab, that wicked house following their advice rather than following the advice of the word of God. Think of that. What advice do you follow? Who is your example? Who is your counselor? You see, this idea of being associated with or partners with someone is not just in the marriage bed. 
but is also who we get advice from, who we follow as an example, all of these things. And so then he did what wicked men do, didn't he? He went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram, and King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, the king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. First of all, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Secondly, he joined in war with wicked allies. He did exactly what Jehoshaphat had done. And God had told him he was doing the wrong thing. He did exactly what, the, what his father would have done, Jehoram. They were ones who wanted to associate an ally with this wicked house. What do scriptures say? Do not be unequally yoked. You know, that's the you know what happens so often in counseling? If you discover that one is a believer and the other is not a believer, the excuse is often made, but that person is my soulmate. I believe it's the word of the will of God because he led us together. And they bring all these excuses in to try and remind us that this is okay because we love each other. But the will of God is this. You shall not be unequally yoked. But then if we stop there and we say, oh, this is a marriage effort, we forget this passage, which reminds us it's not just in the marriage covenant. It's in our official partnerships and the close, intimate relationships we have with others. We don't do justice to these verses about being unequally yoked. If we limit it to marriage, it applies to business partners. It applies to political affiliations. It applies to all these types of things. Now we know we can't go in the world without having association with unbelievers. But to have those close alliances and commitments and covenants with them is dangerous. God says don't do it. We get to the last little section and you see what's happened. You hear some names in there that should ring some alarm bells for next week. Haziel, king of Syria, remember him. He's the one who murdered his master, the king Ben-Hadad of Syria. And Elisha cried out to him saying, I know all the wicked you're going to do on the people of Israel. That should ring a bell. Also, we should be reminded that the whole house of Ahab is under judgment. And here we're reminded that this son of Ahab, Joram, who is now wounded from battle, is under the judgment of God. And we should understand as well that this also applies to the mission given to Elijah way back in chapter 19 of 1 Kings regarding particularly Elisha and Hazel and Jehu. We should hear all the warning signs. We should see that here are the, the people, the primary instruments of the house of Ahab, a house under judgment from Omri and Ahab on down. And we recognize here is kind of the, the opening statement to the next salvo of scripture is this. Here is the king of Judah now married into the family of Ahab, visiting good old Uncle Joram in his time of need. But what about all this? The wickedness of the house of Omri and Ahab cannot be stressed enough. These two kingdoms were infected by the evils of this family. There were two marriages of ill repute, Ahab marrying the Sidonian Baal worshiper Jezebel, 
Jehoram marrying Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, bringing that into the kingdom of Judah. But what do we get with this? We get this. Psalm chapter 1. What does the psalmist say in Psalm chapter 1? Blessed is he who what? Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. With whom do you partner? Who is your hope? With whom do you walk on a day-by-day basis? The gospel tells us we're united to Christ in a special way. And we teach this doctrine called union with Christ. How dare we introduce to a relationship with Christ those things which are opposed to him? I need to hear this again and again. What is my association? What is my commitment? What are my covenants in? Are we seeking to follow God alone? Or are we trying to associate with the devil? Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom and discernment. Whether it's wisdom and discernment because we have a blind spot like Jehoshaphat had. Whether it's intentional like this wickedness done by Joram and Ahaziah. Or whether, Lord, it's merely because we want to do what the world wants us to do and to be in partnership with them rather than with you. Lord, convict us of sin. Help us to be separate in the world, we say, but not of it. Remind us that we have a part to play in proclaiming the gospel to the pagans and the heathen. But Lord, a reminder as well that in Christ, we cannot partner with those who are apart from you. Help us, Lord, to be wise and discerning in these ways, that we might do what is right in your eyes, not by our own strength, but by the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.